Hello and welcome to episode five of ASLA Virginia presents Watershed Moments, where landscape architects, allied design professions, contractors, and developers will gather to talk about the very complicated world that we operate in. We continue a discussion that we began last week looking at personality temperaments. And if you're listening today, you're probably wondering why this topic is so important that we're having two episodes about it. So the point is, if you want to improve communication, then you have to understand your own temperament as well as those you're communicating with. You'll naturally gravitate towards your own temperament style, which is the most comfortable. But if you don't consider the other side of the aisle, then you are at a great disadvantage going forward. So today we will further deconstruct the four Kiersey personality temperaments and their subgroups. And while we are in the program session this past Wednesday, uh, we heard some very real examples of landscape architects in the program recounting their experiences. And I wanna continue this here as well. Uh, I hope we can actually dredge up some insights that are relevant to our profession of landscape architecture, or at least connect with you on your struggles because struggle is real for us and we don't always talk about these topics near enough. So today I'm joined again by um, Jesse Barnes and Stephen Talley who are here for our episodes one and two. PJ we invited, but he couldn't make it. So Jesse Barnes here is a landscape architect and a project manager at Three North here in Richmond, Virginia. And Stephen Talley is a landscape architect and project manager with VHB in Williamsburg, Virginia. Thank you both for being here. You should introduce yourself too. I'm Borden Edgerton, the gracious host of this show. I'm a landscape architect, but I left the design consulting side about four years ago and got into more of a consulting for landscape architects side of things, working with different products and lighting and a lot of different stuff. Is that better, Jesse? I, I feel more comfortable. Okay, good. Uh, it's all about making everyone feel comfortable here. <laughs> so to recap what we've discussed in the past four episodes, first one we were discussing about owning ownership, which basically revolves around how you take accountability of your communication. The second one was communication breakdowns. And that's where you can understand more how um, communication might break down, whether it be the message that you're sending or the timing or the method that you send it. Third episode, we talked about creating mindful connections. And that's where we got into actually figuring out what people connect on and how you might structure a meeting or content to actually get information through to someone versus just talking at someone. Uh, last episode, we had you guys all on, and we talked a little bit about the intros with this Kiersey Temperaments Report and what that was all about. Today, we're going to keep this going. Um, I guess we'll review real quick with what the Guardian, Artisan, Idealist, and Rationalist Temperaments are. And I'll give a quick run through real quick. We can hop in with um, you and Jess, or Jesse and Stephen talking a bit. So Rationals is the first one. And in general, in general, we're talking about rationals being people's temperaments being, they value ingenuity, they, they value inventiveness, competence, autonomy. They like to experiment with concepts and new ideas. They're always looking for new ways to be challenged. Um, they're logical and analytical problem solvers. They're very pragmatic and organized. They enjoy modifying or refining systems. Uh, the next one that we'll go into after rationalist is idealist. And that's the one that I fall into. 
uh, our values are all about authenticity, integrity, truth, purpose, having a deeper connection to others. So we're looking for like things that are meaningful interactions. We enjoy getting to know other people. We're usually enthusiastic, encouraging, committed. Um, we like to explore the needs of others and the possibilities for the future. So we're a little bit more of an abstract. An artisan is the third type. These groups of people tend to value freedom, spontaneity, quick decision-making and taking action. So they like tasks that offer immediate and visible results, big impact. Um, they're usually practical, but they love risks and they're not often afraid of failure. Um, they enjoy working in environments that have quick sweeping changes or problems to solve. And they're usually interested in acquiring skills and techniques. The last one that we'll discuss is what Stephen is, which is a guardian. And I forgot to mention, Jesse's a rationalist. Um, Stephen's our guardian on today. And guardians tend to value structure, rules, stability, safe environments. Uh, they like to work with in schedules. They enjoy routines, protocols, clearly defined paths to leading to success. And they often gain a lot of self-fulfillment if they're actually gaining success through their work or through creating these systems. They're usually dependable, loyal. They keep promises. They enjoy order, consistency, familiarity, and they're interested in logistics and established way of doing things. Um, I think to kick things off, I wanna say these four temperament categories, they're a different way of looking at us versus something like a Myers-Briggs or a DISC uh, because the Kiersey temperament traits, they look more at people's natural behaviors rather than their inner thoughts or inner monologues. Um, also with these four groupings, they're not definitive, um, but instead they're intentionally vague, which I appreciate. Uh, I'm not, I don't usually appreciate if a personality test puts you into one group and this is what you are, because I feel like we have a range and depending on the situation, we might fall into a guardian category for certain types of work. And it doesn't mean that we can't do things that a guardian or a rationalist or an idealist or an artisan might be good at. It just, it's a little bit more uh, difficult. It's not natural. It takes a bit more work. Um, so with these kind of systems and looking at um, how we're going to, I guess, evaluate these four and break them down further, um, I might give a quick example of like my personality traits. So like, I'm an idealist. I'm not usually that detailed oriented. And I often have big picture ideas and I get excited about them, but can quickly lose interest once it gets into more detailed uh, portions of the thought process. So with me, I definitely can do those things. So we'll talk about lists later, but like, because I was trained in landscape architecture and it's part of the design consultant world, we have to be organized. And if you're not organized, you usually suffer quite a bit, I think, in the trade. And for me, it took a while to really learn some of this. And I wasn't nat natural at it. Um, I kind of wanted to talk to you guys to see how your system works with landscape architecture, just briefly as we kind of get into this. Jesse, I might start with you. So you're asking how our temperament is compatible with landscape architecture? Right, like has it done favors for you in certain areas? 
Yeah. I mean, so I'm my, my specific temperament is rational architect. So they named it after us. Um, and it's the, the idea with the rational temperament is that we really enjoy systems thinking and higher like problem solving. Um, definitely big picture mindset, um, which as a landscape architect is really important because we're often juggling you know, everything in the landscape, plus everything with the building, plus everything with civil engineering and, right. you know, just having that ability to keep all of those disciplines and priorities kind of in their proper place is really valuable. Um, and, and I think it's something you can train people to do. I mean, obviously lots of landscape architects do this that are not necessarily rationals, um, but in theory, it just comes a little bit easier to rationals. Mm-hmm. What, what maybe wouldn't be as natural for you in the profession? All of the people skills. <laughs> <laughs> Just okay, navigating the, relationships. I feel like in a, especially, we were talking about community meetings because you were talking to me months ago about leading a community meeting and that that was different in your mind than like just having a general conversation at a bar with someone. Yeah, I, it, I don't remember that conversation exactly, um, but but like those are definitely very distinct scenarios to me. Um, like one-on-one conversation with somebody that I know is is a very comfortable and and wanted experience. Mm-hmm. Um, having to stand up in front of a bunch of strangers and convince them that my ideas are good is like not my favorite scenario. Would you say that you were uncomfortable then in, in like a community meeting setting? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, like community I'm meetings sure. are fun. Um, like they have, they have their merits, um, but they're, they're also really challenging because typically, you know, the people who don't like what you're doing are the ones that show up and talk. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. No, challenging. I, community meetings are tough too because there's an element of being on stage and somewhat like you're, mm-hmm. you're expected to lead the conversation for a lot of disparate views, trying to organize a lot of different people's motivations and thoughts together. Like that might be the part that you maybe enjoy or makes it more comfortable. Like being able to strategize how the meeting might go or looking at all the different parts and disparate pieces. Maybe that's a puzzle that you might enjoy as a rationalist. If I taught myself to think about it that way, maybe. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm turning I, into a therapy session. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think in general, and, and maybe this is just a personal thing, um, and maybe it has to do with temperament, but just in general, I'm comfortable with smaller groups of people. Mm-hmm. Just um, if it's going to be a larger group of people, it's just inherently less comfortable. Right. Like, I've learned to cope because, like, I'm an adult person with a career and you just have to do that. Um, but, but it's, it's inherently a less comfortable situation for me. Yeah, that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. Plus like it gets into with the Kiersey report in some sense of talking about whether we are introverted or extroverted. Mm-hmm. And that certainly plays a role with a more introverted personality. We tend to like smaller groups, whereas mm-hmm. we, we gain energy from small groups 
and also being alone and having our own time to recharge. Um, whereas an extrovert might gain energy and momentum and passion from being in a large group of people or at a party or mm-hmm. bouncing back and forth. Um, Stephen, on the guardian side, what's been very successful for you as a guardian in the realm of landscape architecture? Yeah, I think, as you mentioned earlier, you know, because, you know, I, the guardian has a sort of organized, I guess, personality, um, which that's helped me, you know, be successful and and sort of this service oriented um, temperament has also helped me have a lot of success, you know, in the world of landscape architecture, but where I've struggled and had to to learn, you know, out how to get outside of my comfort zone and outside of my natural temperaments or, you know, thinking outside the box, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't come naturally, I think, to a guardian all the time, but, you know, going through design school and, you know, working in the industry, it, now it is second nature to me. So it's, you know, that's something that I, that I have, that's not even really part of my guardian temperament, but it's a learned it's a learned attribute, you know, it's not natural, um, to me, but it, it feels natural now, but 10 years ago, it didn't. Um, are, are there any methods since this is kind of speaking to a lot of landscape architects that you would approach thinking outside the box or trying to get your mind in that realm? Cause like a lot of people might say like, just get trace out, trace paper, lay it down and just start putting pen to paper. Yeah. I, I think I, ironically, I, because it, the guardian sort of mentality, I usually will make some sort of a, a, a check the box kind of list, you know, okay, have, do I have all my bases covered? Okay. Right. Now, if I flip the thing upside down, does it still work? Like, have I thought about it in this orientation or have I thought about it if people are coming from this direction or, you know, whatever it may be, have I thought about it if the, you know, water's draining from a different area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I kind of just methodically work through different scenarios in my head and I don't just find one option that works and say, that's what we're doing. Um, that's interesting because it's, it's a systematic approach to thinking outside it, the box. To thinking outside the box. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of like counterintuitive almost, but, but it makes sense. Know, it seems to work. Time. Yeah. But it does make sense. Yeah. <laughs> like one well, of then it's really effective. Yeah, yeah, it does seem to be. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Like those are good examples. Like for me, being an idealist, I'd rather talk to someone on the phone or have a meeting and really focus on engaging with the conversation. But in doing so, I may not um, take account for after action meetings as well, if that makes sense. So like one of my methods is if I'm in a complicated meeting uh, over the phone and there's no paper trail, then I will actually write an email after that conversation and bullet the points that I heard because that way you have a paper trail and I get what I want, which is to talk to people and discuss things that are complicated versus just trying to type a lengthy two page email, which doesn't usually work. People don't even read the first two sentences before they just glaze over. (laughs) So like that was my method of like paper trail list of tasks. So I took my idealist wants and needs, but then translated into like a very project manager based, method of doing something, which that's, it's a good technique for people if they're in my camp of being a little bit scatterbrained. Yeah. I I think there's common ground with all four of the temperament traits, you know, to be successful. And that's like what you just described. 
right? Yeah. I think the next thing I want to discuss a little bit is during this last meeting, we had a round table where we talked to, uh, there was, I think maybe 10 or 11 of us that were present at the meeting or at the uh, Wednesday session. And one of the things that I liked hearing was how do we start to tell what these different people are? Um, how do you start to identify what someone's character is and what were some of the struggles that people had relating to learning more about their temperaments during the weeks? And one thing that I will say that was my takeaway from the meeting was maybe not even think about it in the four temperaments, but just at the very beginning of a conversation, try and think, is this person a concrete thinker or an abstract thinker? Because then you can at least break them into two groups. Whereas a concrete thinker is gonna be more like Steven or PJ or their artisans or guardians. And more abstract thinkers are gonna be idealists or like Jesse, a rationalist. And that's a great beginning point. Because if you're on, if you're talking to someone and you're not even connecting with whether they're abstract thinking or they're concrete kind of factual based thinking, then you're you're going to definitely miss the mark. Was there anything that y'all got from the meeting that was like your takeaway? Yeah, I think that was a good good uh, parallel that you drew there. Because I, if I were another one of the temperaments, I feel like I would be an artisan, which and they're both concrete thinkers, and that's just because that's the way I think. So I, that is that a good way guess. to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, it's, it's just hard to guess what people are. I mean, so our assignment last week was to guess our coworkers' temperaments. And my solution was I just literally had all my coworkers take the, the test because I was like, I can't guess. Which is not a bad idea. I mean, it was really effective. I know for sure what they are now. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's a great way of solving the problem. Yeah. If you're going to break the rules, you got to win the game. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, so I, I just, I, again, it's, it's, I think it's partly a people skill. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm just too wrapped up in my own little world that when I'm interacting with people, it's just so hard for me to figure out like, yeah, if, if they're concrete or abstract thinkers. I mean, for me, I feel like I'm successful if I've discovered if they are like introverts or extroverts. Right. Like very think- basic. Do you want to talk to me or do you not want to talk to me? Well, have you ever tried thinking of like a few questions that could be typical for like, I know you said, I think in the meeting that you like were in the program on Wednesday that you were like, I'd hate chit chat about like the weather or sports and it you can't stand it like is there chit chat that you do like that you would be able to ask someone that would tell you a bit more about that person because that's what like small talk type chit chat no (laughs) (laughs) that's part of the having to channel into maybe your idealist side that you don't think you have a little bit of, but you're doing fine here, but you might have like a strategy. Maybe that's the fun part. Well, so, so, I mean, like in, in practice, right. Again, as a functional adult person, I know how to small talk. Like I, I distinctly had to learn that skill. Um, kind of like Stephen was describing learning the skill of, of, um, 
like coming up with the design ideas and things like that. Like it does not come naturally to me to small talk. And I like, I distinctly remember um, I took a class in college. It was a great class. Um, it was to prepare students for like scholarship interviews and, and applications and things like that. Mm -hmm. And one of the units was, here's how you small talk. Like, and it was so helpful. Well, share it with us. I'm so excited to hear this. Um, so, so my strategy okay. is I pay attention to the news, but like not the headline news, um, just like the interesting news, mm -hmm. like just interesting things that are happening around the world. So for example, a while back, um, some researchers got a hold of a giant squid and they were gonna dissect it on like live streaming. Okay. So like in the small talk class, like that's what I talked about. It's like, yeah, did you hear about this giant squid? I used to check, on, so it was a subreddit that was just about like water cooler. It was called our water cooler. Mm. And it was just literally interesting, random crap that was happening throughout yeah. the world. And like every day I'd like check that first thing in the morning. And then I had something weird to talk about to get people talking because yeah. I'm with you. Like small talk about the, like who talks about the weather? I can talk about, about the weather. I don't get me wrong. Like I am capable of like walking that path. I'm like, you are the weather people and I don't like you anymore. You're going in a bucket. <laughs> I struggle the most with the sports people. Jesse, you watched that football game last night? I did watch the Super Bowl. Oh. I know. <laughs> Literally the only football game I watched all year. I, I know people that watch it only for the halftime show. This is a halftime show. Or watch it just for the commercials. And I'm like, I, the commercials I get it were not so good this year. They were, they were fine. I liked the commercials. Mm, yeah, it was a little okay. bit more back to normal. I felt very normal. See, we're small talking. We're, <laughs> but we're talking Capable. about <laughs> Capable human being. <laughs> That's a great topic to talk about is how bad small talk is. <laughs> I don't know. Steven, Steven, how do you feel about yeah. small talk? What's your I don't like it either. <laughs> Does anybody like it? <laughs> Actually, it's not like learning about people. Usually, like small talk, if you come at it like like Jesse was saying, with something interesting to spur the topic, it gets someone talking. Like we we small talk, but it's very natural. Like that's what small talk should be. That's the essence of small talk. It's like getting to something that's like telling you a bit about the person. And that's how we got into this conversation, was talking about how do you start to read people. And you got to have a little small talk. That's why it's at the beginning of a meeting usually and it's advised. It's like you, you had to get a picture of what this person is if you've never interacted with them. You're an idealist though. Like this is the thing. In my world, like, no, I don't. <laughs> How else would you learn what the other person is before you actually started talking to them? I mean, clearly now that that is the objective to like be a better communicator, like that is an essential step. But like, as like a natural way that I operate, like I don't know that I need small talk. I, like, I don't know that I need to know what temperament you are. Like, I just want to work with you. Like if you walked into a meeting and said, all right, let's get down to business brass tacks. I'd be like, cool. Like if we completely skipped the small talk, get to know you. Cool. I don't know. I have no problem. That's what that. you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. The whole point of this is to understand what you're not comfortable with. Yeah, but I'm throwing it back on you. Like, I mean, would you be comfortable if, like, let's say I ran a meeting the way that I would want to run a meeting? Like, 
you know, if I just walked in and said, all right, let's get down to business. This is what we're doing. It wouldn't like, bother me because I'm, I'm a, like you said, I'm an adult who had to learn to do these mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you, you, you adapt. That's why I make lists after my phone call and email it to the person. I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> not natural for me at all. Yeah. I just, but saying that we have to default to small talk. That's why I I'll just, I just feel like that's like idealist privilege. Idealist privilege. I got told that I had blonde privilege and I was like, what does my hair color have to do with it? You, you, like, I mean, if you, you had blonde. brown hair, you'd understand. I'm like, what would I? <laughs> what would you do then if you were trying to figure out what someone's temperament would? I, I think I would a- have them take the test. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine signing up for an RFP? Like the county puts this thing out, and before the interview, you're like, "Can you take this temperament quiz?" Please? I need to know your temperament before we get started. <laughs> I don't think that they would deny it. I think they'd be like, uh, "Okay, this person means business." I mean, clearly that's not a socially acceptable thing to do, except for in special circumstances. But when it's socially acceptable, that's the route I'm taking. Steven, you've been, you've been quiet. I'm, so I was just thinking about like when you, you asked what's your go-to and it's ironic because my go-to is usually I, I listen. I'm a good listener. So I listen to what people mm. are saying or talking about. And, and then, I, then I'll have small talk. I'm not usually the one generating the small talk you know right uh, you know unless it's like there's a some newspaper with some article that's interesting and then maybe i'll bring it up if i feel like talking to that person but typically i'm not you know i'm not starting the small talk <laughs> god I'm, are you an introvert listen. you seem, you seem yeah. introverty yeah would it make you uncomfortable if you got a bunch of questions to get you talking like or would that make you feel more comfortable that it was like no being directed. I'll answer a question if somebody asked me, but I'm not just openly like, hey, I want to tell you all about something and talk to you, you know, just because. Right. But if I feel like I should, if I, yeah, it is. (laughs) But if I feel like I should be part of the conversation, I'll listen to see how I can uh, contribute to the conversation. Right. You know, I don't like to just say stuff just to like, feel like I'm saying something to be part of the mm-hmm. conversation. I want to contribute meaningfully, you know. I feel like a lot of guardians are good listeners. That's when you say thank you, Steve. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> all, I, I couldn't make I, I have I have a I have a small sample size of people that I have <laughs> close in my life who are guardians, but they're they are all good listeners. Yeah, I'm very, I would say, yeah, I am. I don't know that I'm always the best listener as much as I'm like present and like watching. Cause it's more for me, it's like the retention is one of my weak points. That's I have to take notes to retain the info. Cause I'm focused on like the conversation, but in a different way, it's like, how do I make this the most comfortable conversation? So it's not awkward. Mm-hmm. And maybe Jesse, you could correct me. Like when we first went, how do we even first meet? Was it through ASLA or was it before? It had that? to have been through ASLA. So like, I, I don't know if it was. Oh, no, we first met. The, it, it was ASLA, but it was when I did that talk for the state con, state conference. That's right. That's right. Did I did I make you feel more at ease before that? Because I was just, I was like the recording guy. I wasn't even part of it. Yeah. I mean, again, talking in front of people, I was very nervous. 
even though I was just talking in front of my computer. You were just talking. <laughs> so I didn't do a very good job. <laughs> um, but the the knowledge that people would be watching it would make me nervous. Um, you were like, look at this guy with his blonde privilege. I know. Yeah. That, that's the first thing I thought. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I was just thinking, like, again, not sure if this is a rational characteristic or if it's just me, but like, I'm a very bad listener. Like somebody says something and it sparks an idea, I'm immediately day- daydreaming. Like, and, and then I've missed the conversation. Um, okay. Like it's, it's really hard to stay focused unless we're talking about the idea that I'm very like into that conversation, but. Yes. Um, I, I got a little excited because we had, this is a transition point because we had in the, I guess in the last, in Wednesday's program, we had um, a, an exercise that was given to the group. So we were split up into four different groups and we were tasked with like five, we had five minutes to talk to each other and then talk about a pitch that we would give if we were like a project manager on a team and we were matched up to hopefully speak with someone opposite of our temperament. And Jesse, you and Steven, this, I did not plan this, but you guys were a team and you, you're not, like Stephen, you're not an um, you're not a rationalist, but you were supposed to be speaking to idealists. So like these space cadets, like me, <laughs> and you were supposed to get this project, which is off budget and it's off track and timing, and get these group of idealists back on track and how to how to do that, knowing their temperaments, knowing yours. And it was interesting to hear y'all's approach because it was good. And I'm not making fun of you. It was it was a good way, but it was even more interesting to hear some of the idealists pick a few key things that really weren't that important, normally thinking, but like they were to them. And how they heard things differently is also the fascinating part. Like they didn't pick up on everything, but like a couple of the the bad things, because that's what idealists do. Like we're we're sensitive typically, and this is generally speaking. I'd say very sensitive. Do you want to do you want to recount that? Like what happened? Um, I don't have my notes in front of me, so maybe Stephen, do you want to? I have them, yeah. So, so what happened? We yeah, we had to come up with how are we going to get this project back on track, you know, to a group of idealists. So, first we were going to make connections with everyone, make you know, make everyone feel comfortable to be there, you know, from a personal standpoint. And then this is where we went sideways. We were going to identify, you know, these problems that happen, but make sure that we weren't blaming anybody. And, and apparently that word blame is what uh, some of our feedback was like, as soon as we said blame, even though we said we're not placing blame, just the fact that we use that word, it has a negative connotation. It made people feel uncomfortable or made the idealists feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So after we got through that, then we were going we're going to do a brainstorming session with the with the whole group so it's it's really a group participation everyone's still gelling participating as a group and that that seemed to um feel pretty good for everybody and then once we got through that and and well actually as we transition out of that brainstorming session we're starting to assign tasks is the way we said it but um in order to get the project back on track. And it was interesting because the idealists interpreted assigning tasks as creating lists and f- rules that have to be followed. And, th- and that didn't click very well either. 
Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then, so the discussion kind of went where it was, you know, so, okay, well, what do, how do you get the, pro the project done then? Like, what, <laughs> so, right. so what do you do <laughs> if, if we can't start assigning tasks to be done? And that's like from, you know, guardian standpoint thinking. And so I don't know, Borden, how do you get it done if you don't start assigning tasks? Well, what did my, I'm going to turn, uh, I'm going to flip it back to you because what did Mike say? What was Mike's response? Because I, I thought it was pretty, pretty apt. It was pretty good. What was his response so, to that question about like, yeah, because you asked that in the meeting and I thought it was I did because ask like all these idealists got up in arms about being assigned tasks. And I was just like, <laughs> not up in arms. We, we were, we were, caught, we were giving you critical feedback. Yes. So I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but something that you said that I wrote down and he uh, emphasized it was to, to reiterate the goal of the project and the end, the end goal, like where we're trying to get, you know, maybe not without pointing at people and saying, you do this, you do that. It, it was more, you know, we can, we can worry about who's doing what, you know, outside of this meeting, but let's just all be focused on this end goal that's in mind. Yeah. So before that, I think you brought that up about idealists. How do you get shit done? Because it's, you don't have a list and something systematic, you're not going to get anything done. And it's true. But to his point, he was saying, idealists, if you are motivating them in the right direction, then they're ready to go. They're motivated and they are extremely effective at doing tasks without being told to do tasks because they're committed. They're, they're all in, they're passionate about it. And I think that goes to what Stephen was saying. What I said was to get them passionate about it. Don't talk about the bad things that happened. Talk about the potential that the project has to do good for the community that it's going into, or the potential that you've seen the team as a whole doing good for us as a company and them as personnel who are working on the project because then they're feeling inspired and they're happy and they're gelling. And maybe instead of listing tasks, you would say like, you two over there, you guys had a great point about this. We should really develop that for next Friday. And they're like, yeah, let's do this. And then you'd point out some more like, this was really awesome. I think that you guys naturally tend to be really passionate about this and you should do that for next Friday. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we're on it. Versus like, we need to do this, 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 and this. Like, like I said before, we are able to do things that are not natural to us. So if you gave us a list, we would do it if we we're professionals and we're hired. <laughs> so it's, it's just not a natural tendency. I just feel like y'all are the kind of people who enjoy group projects. During college. Like that's the impression I left with. Like, you know, like having, having all of the like people-centered connection as part of our pitch, which again, not terribly natural to me. Um, it's probably more natural for a guardian, um, but like, you know, like connecting with each other and like, hoorah, like when we got into the discussion about lists and tasks, my thought was like an idealist would be happy if we just like stayed in the meeting and started tackling everything and just like group project it. Like, is that, is that fair? I think for me, this is me speaking as an idealist 
from my perspective, which could be different than other idealists, but I hated them in college because there wasn't like any hierarchy. And I don't like when you can't stop talking circles and just finally make a decision. So that's where I start to get into more of the artisan realm is like, we've talked enough, like let's go do shit. <laughs> There's a point, that's why a group project in college sucks because no one is the, the decision maker. Everyone's equal and we're all have equal voice and we have to all agree on it. I'm like, ah, let's just find the best one that people tend to agree to and then everyone agree to do it. <laughs> it's like group projects I like, assuming that we can work together well. And I, I would think you would be in a professional setting more able to do that or at least see reason on certain topics, whether you agree or disagree. I don't know. One thing that was from, I was in idealist group pitching to rationalists. And I wanna see how you respond to this. Like the, the general strategy that we came up with was he didn't say we couldn't do this too. So before the meeting, even, we bring a message to the team saying um, we've fallen off track and, um, but I'm not worried because we have a great team together. I would like everyone to come to this meeting on Tuesday or whatever with their top three things that would help solve this. And then during the meeting, we're going to talk about it and come up with the best strategy to do that and go forward and implement it was the basic thought. Because in my head, I was like a, a rationalist might want to think about it before the meeting and have time to pull it apart and come up with their own strategy. But then when you got a whole bunch of rationalists together, I wanted everyone to have that equal opportunity to come to the table with their thoughts on it before independently. So they weren't together they could think about it in their own little mind and then come to the meeting and then come to an agreement and then go forward with it. Cause that gave them autonomy. I thought, I don't know. What, what do you think? So when you said, I'm going to send a message out ahead of the meeting and say, Hey, we have a problem. I was like, Oh yeah. Like problem solving. This is, this is my jam. And then you said something about like, I want you to all come to this meeting. I was like, mm, I want to go to a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> But so, we have to so I, I think what, what I what I thought you were going to say, which I was really into, was like, hey, here's this problem. Um, this is the this is the outline of the problem. We're looking for solutions. I'm going to, to brainstorm about it. Um, you know, if you come up with anything good, let me know. So not even go to a meeting, just like bring it individually to me and then I'll make a decision. Well, not even necessarily like maybe maybe have a meeting about it. Like if somebody comes up with an idea, you know, collect the people, the, the, the decision-making people and, you know, hash out the idea. Like there's probably some sort of system involved, like, you know, pick, pick it apart, make sure that it actually works. Mm -hmm. Like that would happen in a meeting, but the actual like problem solving would definitely happen on your own. And that's why I wanted people to do it before the meeting. Is, is that accurate? That that's a good idea for a rationalist to maybe I give them I, time to do it? I think the problem you run into, Borden, is you're going to come, they're going to come with three different ways to solve the problem. And then no one's going to agree. But you know. I, that's not necessarily true. Because like, like tip, 
again, this is speaking for me, but also like kind of from the report, like we're interested in the best idea. So you bring a bunch of ideas to the table, like it's fun to go through different ideas and sort of pick them apart and just, and, you know, like find the weaknesses and like find the strengths and, um, and from that perspective, it's usually not that hard to come to a consensus um, unless, you know, it's like super controversial and, um, you know, then that's a problem, but, um, but, but having, having a clear picture of the problem ahead of time, I think like that, that specific component, like this is the problem we're trying to solve. Okay. Like that's, that's the appealing part. Um, not just like, here's the problem and we want to talk about it next week. You know, like, being specific about like, yeah, specifically, like this is the problem. Okay. Or if you don't know the problem specifically saying, you know, this, this project is over budget. We need to fix it. Mm-hmm. Like that, like the problem is the project over budget. Like how do we fix it? But like no fluff. You don't need fluff. No, none. I, I, I included like a little ego booster in there. Like, I know you guys are the best team. Yeah, I hated that. Okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> would, Borden, would you want the, the email explaining that there's an issue and we're going to have a meeting about it? Or would you rather just come to the meeting? Wait, what's the question? Like, would you rather, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually would like to have time to yeah. think about it before. I mean, I think I would too. As a, I, I, like, is that, and then it almost becomes like everyone, I feel like every temperament would want to know that, right? Now you wouldn't want to be blindsided about yeah, a problem. So. But like, I, I think, I think it's the next solved? step. Like you get the email, hey, there's a problem. My impression as an idealist is like, all right, let's brainstorm. And a guardian might be like, all right, let's pick this apart and figure out the facts. Mm-hmm. A rationalist is going to be like, all right, what's what's the problem solving system situation? Like, what's the system that's not working? And an artisan is, artisans are hard. Artisans are going to. They're going to get bored in the meeting very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> like. It needs to be like, I think talking to an artisan in a meeting, you need to make it into a game. Yeah. Because it's, say, they, yeah. they need stimulation and they like to compete. So they're going to be competing with each other about the best idea. And they're usually good sports when they get beaten. But um, the other thing is, you were asking, I think you were asking about artisans at some point, but like you often have to, when you're pitching to an artisan, I think you have to let them win. And yeah, that's big air quotes since this is also a podcast. There's big air quotes around let them win um, because that's what makes them feel often fulfilled or quick action makes them feel or just stimulation makes them fulfilled. But that's the goal is like, how do you make them win? And that's oftentimes like, even if you are, you have to like usually concede something, especially in negotiations, you have to concede something to them. But if you come prepared knowing that, you can find what you want to concede ahead of time. That's my only two cents on that, but I think we'll get into it more next week. And I know you guys had a time limit, um, so we might want to cut it off here. Does that work for y'all or do you have any last thoughts? 
I'm, I'm really curious to hear everybody's pitches next week. Yeah, me too. Because I, I found the exercise to be very challenging. Well, this is good. You love a challenge though, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that is true. I just, I haven't figured out how to solve this one yet. So <laughs> I think the practice. Schedule, the schedule I think coming up is going to be, they shifted a little bit. Stephen and Jesse, did you understand next week's um, program time? Is it going to be more of this uh, working with temperance, or is it? I think they might get into the filters maybe next. I'm not sure. I didn't. I didn't pay close attention to. They were changing the schedule a change. But anyway, um, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, it's been helpful and been somewhat insightful for how you might take some of these traits and put them into your practice wherever you're working or your everyday life, not working, the personal life. But thank you, Stephen, for coming. Thank you, Jesse, for coming. Appreciate y'all. And we'll try and get some fresh blood in next week. I'll try and pitch it to some other people that haven't been on so we can have some new faces. But thank y'all. Appreciate it so much. And we'll talk again later. Thanks. Bye, guys.